Hey guys, and welcome to Money Talks News, the podcast. This episode, we're talking about the top four mistakes investors make. Now, when it comes to stocks, we all know we're supposed to buy low and sell high, right? But for many of us, that's a lot easier said than done. Many investors tend to buy when the market's topping, then they panic and sell at the bottom. That's one common mistake investors make, but it's far from the only one. Today, we're talking to a behavioral investing expert about how simple mistakes can lead to big losses, especially during times of economic uncertainty. He's going to help us avoid falling into behavioral traps and make us all better investors. I'm Stacy Johnson. As usual, my co-host will be financial journalist Miranda Marquette. Hello, Miranda. Hello, Stacy. I'm excited about about this because I, uh, as we all know, all I do is index, and so. <laughs> Well, that's a mistake. A of, I don't have a lot of behavioral issues to deal with. <laughs> well, remember, this is just the investing. And there are many other areas of life where I'm sure you do have behavioral issues. Oh, 100%. It's true. Okay. Listening in and sometimes contributing is our producer and novice investor, Aaron Freeman. Hey, Aaron. Is it time to sell? Everything's high. Is it time to sell? Is it time to sell? <laughs> You're high. Our guest is our guest is Jason Smith, CEO and founder of C2P Enterprises and author of The Bucket Plan. Welcome, Jason. Hello, and thanks for having me. I, I let, I'm sure that anyone listening to this didn't understand what it's C2, the number two, P. And what does C2P mean? It stands for Clarity to Prosperity. Okay, so we're going to become clear and prosperous during this podcast. Yep. Remember, th- Before we start, though, guys, remember that we're not here to give financial advice. We can't because we don't know you personally. So make sure to do your own research and consult your own experts before acting on anything you might hear in this podcast. Okay, let's dive in. I personally have been investing for, I'm going to say, 40 plus years and have never made a mistake. Am I unusual? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) You are. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah, I'm definitely, I I definitely made lots and lots of mistakes. I'll tell you right right now, Jason. But uh, why why do people tend to buy low? I mean, buy high and sell low? Um, You know, I think what happens is they uh, get caught up into watching, you know, and listening to media too much. Um, and you know, they, it's, it's really just the hype, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the job of media is to sell ads and you know, how do they sell ads? I mean, they tap into fear, uh, in many instances. So, you know, to do, you know, when they do that, you know, it's, it's really just, you know, what it's doing is it's inciting behavior that doesn't really serve, you know, people in, in, in their best interests. And so, you know, when, um, you know, when things are bad, right. People are, start panicking and kind of, you know, I coined a term, a term, uh, years ago, uh, it's called freak out risk. Right. And they, they do, they start freaking out and, and the risk is then you make bad decisions. And so what happens is, is, you know, many times it is, it's watching the news and, you know, listen to the media and it's like the world's falling, right? It's like never going to recover. And this might be the one that we never come back from and whatever. And they panic and they tend to make bad decisions. And that's that's where it leads to, in, in many cases, you know, buying low because it's the, the bottom has already happened. And then they're, you know, they're, they're in a fear stricken mode 
And so they go to cash or they make, you know, changes in their portfolio to go more conservative. Um, so that's, you know, that's, and often, oftentimes that's, that's how that bad mistakes, that bad mistake happens on the bottom. I agree with that. I, I wrote an article called 13, let's say 13, um, dumb investing moves and how to avoid them. I wrote that years ago, but that's one of them watching the news too much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause, and you know, I, I used to be a stockbroker for EF Hutton. I don't know if you remember EF Hutton, Yeah. but in Shearson too. Um, and I, I, I lost money every year that I was a stockbroker. I swear. And I was, I, did, I was one for 10 years. I've never lost money since I quit doing that. Because when you're sitting there with this information flowing across your desk all the time, you, you tend to make knee jerk reactions. And that's really not the way to make money. Uh, buying buying quality and holding on to it for long periods of time is the way to make money. Am I right? Absolutely. You know, it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. And oh, I like that. Yeah. And I, I, I do think, and you know, it's the same thing on buying high. You know, I feel like um, people look at, you know, you know, a stock or whatever it might be. And it's, you know, the, again, in many cases, it's media. They're saying this thing's on fire and it's never going down. You know, and in reality, what they're doing is they're buying when it's already at the high. And uh, in, in, in many cases, it, it really just for the average investor, it doesn't even make sense to be trying to pick individual stocks, right? Be well diversified, own the market, you know, as a whole versus trying to pick, you know, individual you know, companies that may or may not, you know, do well. That was my next question, whether just buying individual stocks is a mistake. I personally am a person who buys individual stocks. I own about 35 stocks. Uh, and Miranda is a person who doesn't buy individual stocks, right, Miranda? Yeah, not very often. Most of the time, if I'm going to do individual stocks, it's usually as part of, it's usually part of like an experiment that I'm doing mm. and not, uh, not anything like super, super serious. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what though, Jason, in, in my decades of experience in this, uh, in the financial advisory business or being a consumer reporter, yeah. I used to say always just take your age from a hundred, take that amount and put it in a S and P 500 index fund. Uh, and then, you know, put the, re you know, put part of it in bonds and, you know, just real simple. And right. now, you know, I ch I've changed over the years. You know what I say now? Put the lion's share into an S&P 500 index fund, but take 10% and see if you can hit a home run. Because I've hit a few home runs, not because I'm a genius, just because I could see technology was going to lead uh, this lead civilization. Yep. So I bought Apple and I bought Microsoft and these things are huge for me. Huge. Yeah. I mean, I made hundreds of thousands of dollars on them. So I, I kind of feel like it's okay to buy an individual stock or two. What do you say to that? So, you know, you, you made a statement a few minutes ago, Stacy, that you own about 35 and see for me, I'm all in favor of owning, you know, a you know, a, a diversified grouping of, of, you know, few dozen stocks like you described where, you know, where I tend to find individual investors making mistakes or bad decisions is when they're highly, con have highly concentrated holdings of individual stocks. So like, even what you said was dead on 10%, right? And, you know, you're talking about, I believe you said 35 stocks. Is that right? Yes. Right. See, that's, that's very different than, you know, 
you hear, you know, somebody on TV touting an individual company, and then you put a big portion of your portfolio in it, or you hear a neighbor or a friend or a brother-in-law or whatever it is, you know, talking something up, and then you go put a substantial percentage of your portfolio in it. I would eat, I would even say 10% is too high to have an individual holding all in one stock, but, um, 10% of your portfolio into, you know, even alternative investments or private placements, commodities, you know, Bitcoin, you know, individual stocks. Absolutely. But I do, I think we're on the same page of about 90% of your portfolio should be in mutual funds and index funds. And if you are going to use mutual funds, you better use very low cost mutual funds. You know, you have to justify the reason of 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 the exp additional expense over index funds. Yeah, and just to be clear too, when I say, <clears throat> excuse me, when I say that um, I've got thirty five stocks, that I don't have mutual funds. Yeah. I do have some, but generally speaking, that is my investments. I, I don't have a lot of mutual funds, but I've also been doing this a very long time, and I have some you know substantial assets to put into stocks, and I pay attention. I mean, I spend two or three hours a day uh, reading financial news or or watching financial news. So I mean, that's something I do, but so yeah, for, it, yeah formerly a, a broker, right? So yeah, very yeah. different than the average investor, I would say, right? Yes, one hopes. Although I <laughs> certainly have made every single mistake that we're going to discuss today for sure, and more than once. And speaking of which, let's let's move to another mistake. Uh, mistake number two we've got here: uh, panicking in times of volatility, uh, selling and taking losses, sitting on the sidelines and missing the recovery. How do you avoid making that mistake? Because we just said maybe TMI, too much information is going to make you uh, jump when you shouldn't be. How do you avoid doing that? Yeah, I mean, really, if if your plan, first of all, you need to have a written plan, right? You need to have a financial plan. I think it's extremely important. Um, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure. You, you know, a, a bucket plan in general is a good idea. And so... You know, that's one of the ways is, you know, and here's the thing. If, if your plan hasn't changed or if your goals haven't changed, then your plan shouldn't change and your portfolio shouldn't change, right? I mean, you know, uh, rebalancing your portfolio is a good idea, but um, in staying on top of it, like you, you do, Stacey, in essence, you're your own money manager, right? If you're trusting yeah. someone to do that or if you're doing it yourself. But, you know, I think where people make mistakes, it go, kind of goes back a little bit to that freak out risk is because, you know, in many cases, what happens is somebody, um, they work their whole life. They accumulate a lot of their money into retirement accounts, 401ks, IRAs, 403bs, thrift savings, whatever. Um, these type of pre-tax, you know, qualified accounts. And they're usually, you know, concentrated into, into one of those areas because it's where they work their whole life. And they look at it as a whole, you know, they have some money, a little bit of money in the bank. And then the rest of their money primarily for a lot of people is in their qualified account, right? Their retirement account. Yeah. And they look at it as, as a whole and they make decisions based on the entire account versus kind of unbundling that account into buckets. And so what what we utilize is a three-bucket approach, now, soon, and later buckets. The now bucket is basically your safe and liquid money. 
It's the money that you can put your head on the pillow and sleep soundly at night if that money's there. We all have a magic number. Miranda, I know you have a magic number, right? <laughs> like a certain number that if you see your bank account get below that, you get a little squirrely. You get a little- I un- do, yes. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, I mean, we all have it, right? And so the key is, is to make sure you keep enough in the now bucket for planned expenses and an emergency or comfort fund, but not too much that you sacrifice the rate of return you would have otherwise earned if you invested it in the sooner or the later bucket. And now that second bucket, the soon bucket, is really your conservative money that's designed primarily for income or withdrawals, you know, when you need it. So this is going to be money, the soon time frame is money that you may need. Or you will need. You know you're going to need it. Within, within what period of time? What's within that? what period of time do we need that? Uh, the the soon bucket is within what five years? What, what's yeah. the period of time? So the now bucket is a one to three year window, and then that yeah, mainly one to two years. That soon bucket is more like the the two to ten year window. What kind and, of stuff are we putting in there? So it depend a lot of it is dependent on the situation, right? And the age is a factor as well. But things like um, you know, uh, a you know, bonds are certainly um CDs uh, are now competitive again. So CD ladders, bond ladders, um you can utilize cash value if you have life insurance that accumulates cash value. That's another uh, another tool that can be utilized um, for uh, for some instances. An annuity is another. If you're if you don't have a pension and you know you want some type of more stability in your portfolio, that would be another example of what could go in that soon bucket. So you're not having stocks in the soon bucket. Um, if you were to have stocks, it would be, for example, you could have, let's say a, you know, 2080 portfolio, you know, 20% stocks and 80% fixed income, um, or a 40, 60, even depending on the time frame. But even, you know, in that instance, that would be like a, say you had a, a, a more conservative portfolio in the soon bucket, but a more aggressive or growth oriented portfolio in the later bucket. The key is, Stacy, is you want to be able to access those funds no matter what the situation is with the stock market. And you don't want to subject yourself to sequence of returns risk, which is, you know, I think I know you know what that means, but you know, for the listeners, in essence, it's where there's down, you know, there's a downturn in the market when you need to, and you, and you either need, you need to draw out funds and you do draw out funds. And so you're selling while the market's down and then you can never make that money back. That's the, that's what you really want to avoid. And how do you do that is you, you set your money up in buckets now, soon or later, based on the time horizon and the goals of those funds. So your soon bucket money is going to be invested completely different than your later bucket money is going to be invested, which is primarily focused on growth. That way, when you do need to take income or withdrawals, you're not subjecting yourself to risk of having to sell when the market's dead. 
Yeah, so, and this is the key to avoiding this mistake, the, the mistake that is of selling low uh, and buying high, is is having this this soon not the soon bucket the now bucket so that we have so we're not uncomfortable we don't have too much in the market and we can we, we don't freak out when the market falls yeah right yep exactly and you know this stacy the biggest runs that we ever see in the market in short periods of time are when it's recovering from when we just had a correction right yeah yeah i, I mean yeah. it happened it happened during covid it happened in 2008 it always happens, right? Like it after it hits the bottom, that's when you, you have your biggest run. And that's one of the biggest, that's one of the biggest mistakes people make is they sit on the sidelines and miss the recovery. And yeah. it can be pretty devastating. That's in when you time segment your money based on the purpose and the time horizon, it kind of gives you the confidence to stay the course because you have a now bucket with your magic number in there. So that gives you peace of mind. Your soon bucket, your conservative money. So now between the now and the soon bucket, you buy a time horizon to invest the rest of the money in the later bucket with a 10 plus year time horizon. So you don't freak out. You don't make bad decisions. You can stay the course. This is a very simple uh, and effective, I imagine, way to plan. Oh, you know, actually, we're, we're halfway through our show, a little more than half, actually. So we're going to take a really quick break uh, because, so we can pay some bills. We're going to be right back, though. And when we come back, I'm going to give you a perfect tip that'll help you no matter what kind of investor you are. We'll be right back. Okay, we are back. But before we start, if you like what we do, do something for us. Share the show with your friends and family on your favorite socials. And also subscribe to our podcast. It takes you two seconds but it really helps us. Okay, now, here's here's something that I learned a long time ago, 40 years ago. If you find yourself making mistakes and in investing, then just do the opposite of what you think you should do. <laughs> and that may work for you. And I actually did that, you know, when I was trading. I was like, and I do this all the time. As a matter of fact, as we speak, as we're recording this podcast, the market's done really, really well. Uh, one of the best months we've had in years. Uh, but, you know, I thought the market was going to go down. I really did. Uh, and so, you know what I did? Nothing. Because every time I make a timing call like that, I'm wrong. So I'm happy that I did, didn't do anything. So, you know, so, and that, that's a mistake that a lot of people make too. And here's another one I'm going to throw in, and then I'm going to turn it back over to you, Tony, but, but or Jason. But um, hubris is a huge mistake I see people make all the time. Like I just said, the market's done really well this month. And you know what? A lot of people, when the market goes up, they think they're smart. They think they know something nobody else knows. Uh, and they think they're, an, they're the best investor ever. They're Warren Buffett. But, and they're just about to have their hat handed to them. Because, you know, you're not smarter than the market. You just think you are because rising, rising tides floating all boats. Is, have you seen that happen, Jason? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, no doubt about it. Um there's a, a false sense of security, right? I think that that gets uh, that gets formed. Um, and in, in in reality, Stacey, I think like with your background and experience, you know, um, you're the outlier, though, right? You were in the industry. This is what you do. You spend hours per day on it. You're in essence a money manager, but you you only have one client yourself. Yeah, right. That's um, true. And. I think for most people, what they really need to do is trust the professional, right? Um, 
And so they get that guidance, like from a behavioral finance standpoint, from a financial planning standpoint. And at the end of the day, it's not just about what you make, it's about what you keep. And tax management is hugely important to the overall net rate of return that you're going to get on your on your portfolio and on your you know on your investments so you know work working with a professional that's layering in the tax management with the financial planning with the investment management i think it's really important to have those things coordinated yeah you know i i used to this is something else i've shifted on over the years jason because i used to think obviously i don't need a money manager uh, right. Because I, I take responsibility for my own money, I take the time to learn about it, you know, blah blah blah. But at the older I get, and and also let me tell you this too: when I walked into E. F. Hutton in 1981 to become a stockbroker, I was a CPA, and I thought the manager who was doing the hiring would be really impressed with that. And and these are his exact words during our interview when I pointed out that I was a CPA. Here's what he said: He said, "I'd rather have a used car salesman sitting across the desk from me right now than a CPA." I'm, I'm not kidding you. Those are his exact words. Uh, and I went on to become a successful stockbroker. But the point is, a lot of people have a bad taste in their mouth when it comes to investment advisors because there are so many commission-based stockbrokers like I was um, right. who were incented to do better for themselves than they are for their clients. And I think people are a lot of, are afraid of that. And now things have 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 evolved in the business. So there's less of the commission and more of the, of the uh, holistic approach to investment management. And now I'm, I'm friendlier to it. Cause I used to say, don't do that. Just buy an index fund and be done. Right. Uh, but, but now I can see the, the value, especially now that as I'm in my accumulation phase is ending um, and I have substantial assets and my wife doesn't give a damn about it at the stock market, you know? So I can imagine having somebody not only looking over my shoulder, but also being there if I'm not for my wife. Well, Especially, I mean, it, if you think about what holistic wealth management is, which the, the bucket plan is a holistic wealth management process. Um, and just a, uh, just a quick plug, like uh, uh, US, U.S. News and World Report just named it one of the top 10 retirement planning books for 2023. Awesome. Congrats. Yeah, thanks. And that's like not paid. We didn't solicit it. It was a total surprise. It was actually really cool. Um but, you know, holistic wealth management is basically what ultra high net worth get at a family office. It's the coordination of the financial, tax, legal, and insurance all into one comprehensive and holistic plan. And the estate planning is a huge component of it. So you have to make somebody needs to be because you make a mistake in one area, it affects the other. I mean, and you get those professionals. See, historically, you know, this approach has really only been for the high net, ultra high net worth, ultra high income is who got it in, you know, through a family office kind of approach. And the rest of the American families were primarily served by salespeople. You had the investment guy selling stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, insurance guy selling annuities and life insurance and long term care and disability. You have the um, CPA that's selling tax returns and accounting services. And then you have the attorney selling trusts and wills. And in many cases, they would conflict with each other. They would give each other, they would compete with each other. The advice didn't match up. And so what holistic wealth management is, is the coordination of all those areas into one comprehensive player. How much money do you need? 
to justify getting a financial plan or a, a financial advisor? Um, I think I don't think there's a dollar amount. I think people at 21 years old when they're just starting out should seek advice. Um, it, it you know because you can pay you know just out you can pay hourly rates you can pay retainer fees you can pay flat fees to just get a plan developed you know there's a lot of different ways now that you know holistic financial planners are compensated so making the right decisions you could argue early on is just as important as making those decisions kind of where you're at Stacy and I did want to comment on something you said a moment ago. You said, you know, I'm I'm ending my accumulation phase and I'm going to challenge you a little bit on that because I think that there's three phases that we all go through throughout our lifetime. It's called the money cycle and it, there's accumulation, preservation, and distribution. The accumulation phase is when you're younger, you're working, you're preparing for retirement, you have a long time horizon, you can afford to make mistakes, you can afford to lose the money because you can... Or, uh, work and earn and make that money back. You can afford the market to go down because you have a time horizon for it to rebound. That's the accumulation phase. The second phase is preservation. Preservation phase is where you preserve a portion, and that's the key word, portion, of the money in preparation for the third and final phase, which is distribution. Distribution to yourself in retirement, distribution to your family upon your passing. The biggest mistake, that people make is they go directly from accumulation into distribution and they never preserve a portion of the assets. I would argue your later bucket should always be invested for accumulation. The key is, is you need to establish a soon bucket, which is that portion for preservation. So you can confidently take income and withdrawals from it without putting yourself at risk for, you know, for a downturn in the market uh, where your portfolio and then having to take it out when the market, when it's down. Yeah. And you're, you're right. I'm in the preservation stage. And that I never, this happened kind of accidentally. You know, I got to where, you know, like, you know, the Mark, Mark Twain phrase, uh, I'm more interested in the return or no, I think it was Will Rogers. I'm more interested in the return of my money than the return on my money. Yes. Uh, and, and so, you know, that now I'm like, I still buy stocks because, you know, it's a habit. Uh, but generally speaking, I'm more concerned about losing money that I already have than I am in making more. And I, and I think that's probably true for people my age, people in their 60s. But anyway, but, you know, I think all the way to the end, regardless of age, you should have your money. There should be a portion of your money invested for growth in the later bucket. But certainly as you start to get to the point where you know you're going to need to take withdrawals within the next 10 years or, or shorter, um, at that point, that's where you really need that soon bucket established so you have a source for those income or withdrawals without subjecting yourself to freak out risk because the market goes down and then all of a sudden you're making rash decisions. By the way, too, uh, Jason, let me ask you this. Just because you have a financial advisor doesn't mean you've eliminated all potential mistakes. I mean, financial advisors are capable of making mistakes too, aren't they? Oh, for sure. There's no doubt about it. Um, but I think the key is is to minimize the mistakes to as little as possible. And there really shouldn't, though, Stacy, be many mistakes in regards to, you know, the actual planning and management 
I think it, like of, of of the of the plan, right? Management of the plan. Mistakes absolutely can be made on oh, we could have you know invested more aggressively and we would have made more money, or we should have invested more conservatively because there was a downturn in the market, or that sector didn't do that well and we we were overweighted in that sector of the market. Those kind of risks are, you know, are, are bound to have, you know, those kind of mistakes are bound to happen because nobody's got a crystal ball, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so now I have to ask Aaron and Miranda, are you guys ready to pay Jason to be, to be a money manager for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I actually already use the bucket system for some things. Uh, as you know, like um, when my, when we, my son started, uh, started college uh, a couple years ago, uh, I, that's when I moved some money into a soon bucket from for his 529. Like I redid his 529 investments so that he had, a, so we had a soon bucket uh, to cover his uh, upcoming costs, but still kept, you know, kept a sort of bucket to keep accumulating as we go forward. But uh, I did, I have used a bucket system for my son uh, to make sure that like, as we're going through here, uh, we've got that soon bucket going to cover his his uh, tuition costs and other college costs. Nice. That's, That's a perfect example of like a, a reason people will, you know, fund that soon bucket. Yeah, this bucket strategy sounds really good. I, I'm not real fond of the word bucket because I keep thinking of, I might be about to kick the bucket. <laughs> but, but other than that, this really makes sense. Now, before we're done and we're almost done, let me ask you guys a question. And you too, Jason, what's the biggest mistake? And I'm not talking about now. When, you know, you were young at one time and starting out. What's the biggest mistake you ever made in investing? Oh, man. The I biggest like put mistake I ever made in investing was when this was back in – Oh, let's see here. This was back in 2000, 2001 is when it all came to fruition. But at that time, I was day trading my own money. I thought Ooh. I was like, you know, the next whatever, like yeah. stock guru. <laughs> Gordon <laughs> Gecko. Um, I was day trading my own money and I started, um, uh, I, I, uh, you, you're familiar with margin. And back then, you know, so I had about, I had accumulated it up to about $600,000. And this is my early 20s. Wow. And um, then I had about $600,000 because I thought, I, you know, the market had a great run. And I was just, you know, just killing it. I was. I borrowed $600,000 on margin, right? Ooh. Back then we let you do that. So I actually owned $1.2 million in securities. And I was very heavily weighted, highly concentrated in tech. And I'll never forget, I had a bunch of, uh, I had a bunch of Priceline stock. And that. it was right when the market started tumbling, right? And I was dollar cost averaging down. I ended up having almost the whole 1.2 million all in Priceline stock. And then I'd never forget the morning I woke up and logged into my E-Trade account. And it was $17,000. Holy cow. That's quite the story. <laughs> it, it drops so fast when you're borrowing to buy on margin. And, and at that time, I had also maxed out my credit cards, took all the cash I could oh my God. out of my credit cards, leveraged myself fully, had it all in the market. So I was dead broke. And I'm like, 
I got to like, and my lease was up on my car in like the next month. So I cashed in the $17,000 account, went, bought a 1997 Dodge Intrepid and started going door to door selling insurance. Jeez, I feel so much better about myself right now. Because uh, I've I mean, made lots of mistakes too, and that and well, you, and you you were all in right at the bubble, the internet bubble. Yes, uh, yeah, and I've seen that a lot. As a matter of fact, I was working in Cincinnati at that time in the in the uh, in a newsroom there for Fox, and the weatherman came to me and he said he took out a mortgage on his house to buy stocks, and I said if that's not the top of market, I don't know what is. Because, you know, when, when you go to a party, this is true of real estate, too, by the way. You go to a party and everyone's talking about how, how easy money is being made in real estate or in stocks. Run for the <laughs> exit. Because, oh, the, the, yeah, the sky is just about to fall. You know, it's a, I, just be really careful. Man, that's, that's a harrowing story you told. And I'm sure it's taught you a lesson you'll never forget. And I'm sure our listeners won't either. Yeah. Yeah, margin itself is a, is a huge mistake, in my opinion. Oh, for sure. And, and so, as is day trading. I've done that story a million times. I have yet to meet a successful... You know what I tell people with day trading? is y- You might be a successful day trader. It's possible, just as there are people who make a living playing cards in Las Vegas. There are. But it ain't going to be you, more than likely. You know, Because there are people on the other side of the table that are smarter than you. And sooner or later, you're, you're going to hand them all your chips. Uh, and you know, so I, day trading, I think, is a really bad mistake. Although... It is possible, theoretically, that somebody can make a living doing it. I'm not one of them, though. I've tried it. I'm, I'm horrible at it. So do we have anything else to add? We're almost, we actually are out of time. Oh, Aaron, we didn't hear from you. Did you Did you make a, a mistake? Or, or uh, Yeah, the mistake I made was we started a stock podcast, you and I, and we talk, got talking about it, you know, a lot as the market was, I guess, somewhat high. And so I felt like I had to buy stocks in order to talk about it. And of course, all that stuff is down. I haven't recouped that money yet. I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah. how, about, how about you, Miranda? <laughs> uh, the, no, biggest I mean... mis- the biggest mistake you guys can make is not reading the Bucket Plan book, by the way. That's right. That's right. Everybody go read this book. <laughs> <laughs> Geez, that was a shameless self-promotion. Wasn't we'll, it? <laughs> no, we'll allow it, though. What, have you made a mistake, Miranda? Oh, several. Yeah, of course. Uh, the good news is, is most of them come as a result of um, my my experience experiments. I think the biggest mistake, though, I made was when I first opened a Roth IRA way back in the day, a Roth IRA way back in the day, in my early 20s, shortly after I got married. Uh, we did it through our insurance agent. And so you can imagine the fees. And of course, he put everything in like, you know, high load mutual, uh, you know, high load actively managed mutual funds. Oh, geez. Yeah. And, you know, and then and then I started writing about money and learning about it. And I was just like, well, we're done with this. And then we moved to the Roth IRA. Uh, But yeah, yeah, that that was one of the big things was... um, was just assuming that like, you know, an insurance agents, like they can help you with some stuff and help you with some planning. But uh, assuming that like, they're going to help you like find the right investment projects for you. Whew, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, you, and you know, another thing I'll throw in here too at the end is that, and no offense to you, Jason, but I think it's a mistake not to pay attention to where your money is, even if it's being professionally managed. I mean, that, my, my wife's a nurse practitioner and I don't understand Two thirds of what she's talking about, you know, names of drugs and all this stuff. But this is not rocket science uh, investing. 
Uh, and even if you have somebody you're paying, somebody who's a professional uh, like Jason, pay attention. Know what you're doing because there's nobody who, who um, that money matters to more than you. Uh, e even the best financial advisor is not going to lose their retirement if they make a mistake. They they could lose yours though. So always pay attention. And, and do you do you agree with that, Jason? Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And um, we we even go as far, um, Stacy is um, we we mandate that both spouses be present as we take them through the bucket plan process and build the plan. And actually. Um, the book is a, tr it's a true story about a client I took through the process and the, the husband died very unexpectedly and very suddenly, not long after we built the plan and, um, the wife uh, up to that point had, had never, um, participated in anything. And, and initially he didn't want her to, he was like, oh, she never, you know, she never, you know, he does any of this stuff. I'll just take care of it. And I'm like, no. We absolutely need both spouses there. It's super important. It's an educational process. I promise I'll make it engaging and fun. She'll learn and she'll be very grateful to actually have a good understanding of where your money is and how it's invested and, and what you have set up. Would you come and over sure to my enough, house? I, I yeah. need you to talk to my wife. I need you to make it fun for her. Because I'm just imagining me sitting in your office with my wife and she'd be texting the whole time. She wouldn't be paying <laughs> But anyway, I think that, that stories that, and jokes and make it yeah. fun. <laughs> there you go. That, that's a, that's really good, though, that you guys do that. And everyone should do that as a couple. Uh, anyway, OK, I've gone. I've droned on too long. We are out of time. But you know what, folks? We are never out of topic. Dig a little deeper. You're going to find links to lots more info in our show notes. And remember, if your goal is to make more, to spend less, to retire rich, your online home is moneytalksnews.com. And don't forget to check out Miranda's online home as well. That is Miranda Marquit, M-A-R-Q-U-I-T.com. And visit Jason and his website. That is jlsmithgroup.com. Is that right, Jason? Yeah, that is my and, life. And one more time on your book, what's it called? The Bucket Plan. The Bucket Plan. Let's go out and I'll buy it, folks. Okay, if you've got a question, comment, or topic you'd like to suggest, please tell us about it. You can email us at hello at moneytalksnews.com. That's hello at moneytalksnews.com. And one final thing, you heard me say it at the break. If you like what we do, subscribe to our podcast. It takes you a couple seconds, really helps us out, makes our parents proud. So if you like us, show us and subscribe. Thanks again for being here, Jason. Uh, I'm Stacy Johnson. I'm Miranda Marquette. I just ordered a bunch of buckets on Amazon. Will that work? <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to kick one. Okay, guys, thanks for hanging out with us. And we're going to see you right here next time.